Don't leave here without it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Galatians, chapter number four, to all of our visitors. Once again, you are going to get a free latte from our coffee shop. And I want to tell you, I've been to Starbucks. I've been to, I've been to all these coffee shops. And um, brother and sister sergeant have put together a crew back there that makes, makes a coffee that will slap your brain. That's how good it is. You don't want to leave here without getting your free coffee. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 22. Galatians 4 and 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. He who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. You might remember that God, when he called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees, told him that he would be the father of many nations, and yet he and Sarah were childless. So that, that's part of the backdrop and then verse 24, which things are an allegory, which is similar to typology. An allegory simply means that there is more, there's more that meets the eye. There's an explanation, a far deeper explanation behind these things. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage which is Hagar. Now in your English King James Version it says Agar, but it really is meaning Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Now, there are deep pools of understanding that are in these scriptures. And I'm going to do my very best to try to explain this and break this down for us here uh, in several moments. The Bible says in verse 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And I want to preach, teach, talk to us for a few minutes today about the mother of us all. If we could just lay our Bibles down and one more time. I know we praise the Lord a bunch here today, but I wonder if we could just pray. Let's pray. Let's pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him would rule in this building. Come on, lift your voice with us. Let's pray. You've waited all week for this. We've all prepared and taken time to, to get ready for this time together, I pray, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to give illumination and strength and power and understanding and revelation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated.
Praise God. In this particular passage of Scripture, um, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church. The book of Galatians was not really to one congregation, but it was to many congregations because Galatia was a region, just like Asia Minor. The seven churches that are in Asia Minor included more than one church. Galatia represented more than one church. And it is it goes on record as being one of uh, the most stern of all the letters that are in the Pauline letters because there were Judaizers. They were Jews that followed the Apostle Paul that engendered strife even among the local synagogues to disrupt his ministry. They did not view the Apostle Paul as being a man that carried a revelation. They believed that he was a false prophet, that he had left the faith and was now espousing something that was totally false. This is why in the book of Galatians chapter number 1, there is such a stern warning about leaving the gospel. Where the apostle says that there is no other gospel, though we or an angel from heaven come and preach anything to you other than what we first preached to you, let him be accursed. And the entire letter of uh, Galatians is a letter that is classified as being what we call apologetical, which means apologetics is a defense of the truth against other belief systems. Um, there are different Greek words that are used uh, for study. We've talked about this before. You have uh, hermeneutics, homiletics, and apologetics is where we get the word apology. But it's not an apology in the sense that you're saying sorry, you're sorry. It is an ordered defense against other belief systems. And... Uh, I believe that apologetics is alive and well in the 21st century, which is one of the reasons why that we founded uh, the Symposium of the Apostles' Doctrine. We are just getting ready to release our very first online journal um, of uh, the Symposium on the Apostles' Doctrine that will go to thousands uh, of recipients electronically uh, because we see that false doctrine and people's belief systems are being so easily perverted and are being manipulated by people that are not anchored in the truth. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the most valuable thing that we possess in the 21st century is not a car, it's not a home, it's not this church building, but it is an understanding of the truth that's given to us by the Word of God. That there is only but one God. There's only one way to be baptized. And you 
must experience the new birth. In fact, most of the New Testament, if not all of the New Testament, is rendered uh, an academic exercise unless you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. If you understand that as a guiding principle to theological understanding and academics, you will understand why theology is constantly changing to meet the needs of our culture. And you have to understand that that is one of the very first signs of danger, is that when you have to change this book for our culture, that is going in the opposite direction. I don't change this to fit me. Through the power of God, I change me to fit this. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. There's all kinds of sophistry and false theological perspectives from people that are intelligent. We'll grant them that. But without an understanding and a revelation of truth, there is no way that you can continue to move into the things uh, of the Word of God unless you have a, a proper foundation and an understanding of these things. The book of Galatians is, is Paul's, I, I almost see if, if I could put this into um, an equation, a physical equation, he's down on a knee in which he is, he is pleading theologically with people that he loves, uh, churches that were birthed under his ministry, and, and he, is, he is trying to persuade them not to go back into Judaism, not to allow the Judaizers to persuade them away from a life of grace in the Spirit of God. And that is just, that's just a thumbnail sketch. There's so much more. But right in the middle of this is our text in which there is an interesting scripture. And you will see in the book of Galatians, you will see a common thread where this Old Testament figure by the name of Abraham is referenced over and over. Um, in fact, Abraham is the spinal column of the Old Testament brought into the New Testament. It is not Moses. It is not Adam. It is not David. It is not the prophets. But it is a man by the name of Abram that was called out of Babylonian polytheism and brought out of a family that did not understand the things of God. And he was uniquely called by God. We don't have any record of this calling, but we know that God courted him because he was the firstborn. Uh, his father's name, of course, was Terah. And, and Abram was in line to be the recipient of, of a trunk line, a commercial trunk line that traveled between Mesopotamia and Egypt. Um, and he was to be the firstborn. He was to inherit this. But he heard from God. And God called him out of Babylonian influence, called him away from his family, called him away from all of the trappings to journey into the unknown. And ladies and gentlemen, I just, I just want to say this, that when you obey the gospel, um, and I know this is difficult for a 21st century world, but it is the truth nonetheless, and we cannot shy away from this, that when you are ushered across the threshold of the new birth, it is not the ending of your walk, it is but the beginning of a walk of the unknown. The same God that brought Abram out 
and led him by the building of an altar and the carrying of a tent is a God that will lead you through this life from faith to faith and victory to victory. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give him praise. I want to tell you, there's nothing more exciting in this world than to be led of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. The the excitement in this world is not coming out of Hollywood. It's not in the NBA finals. It's not in the sport world. It's not in the entertainment world. It's not in the financial world. It's not in our government. It's nothing in this world but in the power of the kingdom of God. Oh, clap your hands and give him praise. would have used his original plan that he initiated with Adam and Eve. He could not. Adam, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, were to be the earthly counterpart to enact the dominion of an invisible God. They would, they would, God would rule as the, uh, for lack of a better term, as the invisible king. And Adam and Eve, as they followed God's command as being uh, created in his image, that they would have established God's kingdom in the earth. I mentioned this several weeks ago. I believe that if Adam and Eve would have continued to obey God, that the perimeter of that garden would have circumvented the globe. I believe that paradise would have marched on everywhere that the sole of their foot was placed. Uh, but because Adam and Eve failed and gave it back to the devil, that they were not allowed uh, to fulfill. God came up with another plan. God could not do it through Adam and Eve. God could not do it through Noah. God could not do it with Nimrod and the building of the Tower of Babel, so he caused confusion. And God did it all because he said, I have another plan. Instead of me using a man that's already in paradise and bring him out, I'm going to call a man out of Babylonian chaos, and I'm going to bring him out into the unknown. And I'm going to use one man by the name of Abram, and he and his wife that are childless, I'm going to use them as the perfect type as a child of God in the New Testament. I digress to share that about Abram because you see, you see that the commonality of that theme Throughout the book of Genesis, you see it in the book of Romans as well, but you see it more pronounced here in the book of Galatians because he is trying to draw uh, this people that were, that were in danger of going back. It wouldn't have been a pure Judaism. It would have been some freakish hybrid of half, half Christianity and halfway going back to the works of the flesh like circumcision and the adherence of the law. And so he is making an appeal here. And he's anchoring it in revelation that is far beyond the understanding of this church. But he's hoping against hope that this church can get some glimpse of a bigger revelation than than anybody ever dreamed. I come to this pulpit every single week. And and, and I'm I'm not being critical and I'm not complaining. But I get a whole list. This is going on. That's going on. Pastor, my dog died. Pastor... Uh, somebody's in the hospital, and pastor, and these are things that have to be dealt with, and we, we have a way for dealing with that. But I come to this pulpit week after week 
Understanding, bearing a revelation that will bring you out of a sentient life and bring you out out of a third dimensional living and pull you up out of your problems and pull you out of your prison house and let you know that you have one foot in this world. But don't ever give up on the fact that you are a citizen of another realm, of another kingdom that is far beyond this building here today. Oh, clap your hands and give him praise. I refuse to allow my earthly problems to bring me down. I refuse to allow the opinions of others to keep me down. I refuse to allow the lies of the devil to bring me down. I refuse all the aches and pains and problems of life to bring me down. When I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I look into the Word of God, the author of my faith takes that and brings a revelation into my spirit that compels me to go on. Oh, clap your hands and give him the praise. And exalt him today. Come on, let's praise him. Put some energy into it. Let's give him the praise. These first generation apostolic believers. Somebody said to me a while back, they said, Pastor, how come you're always saying apostolic? And that's because in the first century, there were no other denominations. There was paganism. There was Judaism. And then there was the apostles' doctrine. That's it. There were other developments, such as the Eastern Orthodox and the, the, the beginnings of the Catholic Church. And then after the Reformation, it became a kaleidoscope of men's ideas. Now you have the postmodern theology where people just, they don't even know what they believe. They just say, I go to a, a church and they're good people. And I'm not here to say they're not good people. I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you better search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. I'm not going to play a game. I'm not going to base this on what a man says. I'm going to get in the book and find out, wait a minute, they were never baptized in the titles of the Trinity. They went down in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. That was Catholic and Eastern Orthodox theology. But when you go back to Acts 2, they were baptized in Jesus' name. You go to Acts 8, they were baptized in Jesus' name. You go to Acts 10, they were baptized in Jesus' name. That's all I need. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise and thank him for a revelation of truth. You really get that worked up about that stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a big deal. Many of these first century converts to apostolic Christianity had no idea some of the things that were being said to them in this book. As I've already mentioned, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 says, The natural man receiveth not of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. You have to pray. You have to get into the Holy Ghost yourself. And then this book takes on a whole new meaning. If you try to approach this book and say, I'm going I'm to reduce this down to living in the flesh. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You can't do that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit has made me free. Oh, I'm glad I'm free today. I'm glad I'm free. 
I'm glad I'm free. And you're freer than you even think. There are some things in this particular scripture that I'm going to do my very best to give you an accurate rendering. And the gravity of this particular passage of scripture is the enormity of this. It fails. It goes to a place where human language fails. And then God has to step in and give you the gift of articulation so that you can speak things where language fails. In Genesis 3 and 20, Adam made this incredible statement. He said, he called Eve the mother of all living. To our mothers that are here today, you are an incredible creation. There's three of you that agree with me. You must have got chewed out before you came to church today. Oh, mom's just nagging again. You better thank God for that nagging voice. Well, that went over like a crocheted bathtub. Brother Wilson's famous line. You have to understand the magnitude of gender distinction. More pulpits are being silenced and churches are being intimidated to not even tell the truth on these basic elements of God's word. But I want to say unequivocally that God made them male and female. That was originally God's plan. And the woman is the matrix of establishing the will of God in the earth. Adam could not have fulfilled that by himself. Now this light right here is starting to strobe. And I'm not on drugs and on a stage anymore. Thank you. Thought for a minute I was on a police police lineup. All right, put your hands up. Never mind. Some of you get it, some of you don't understand. If I raise my hands at a concert, why would I keep them folded like this when the God of the universe is here? You lift your hands at a country country concert because you got friends in low places and there's a God that's got you sitting in heavenly places. It's because you don't know what's up. Your value system's perverted. It's contorted. The woman is the matrix. She is the human medium whereby God brings about his will in the earth. Which is to replenish, to populate the earth. Adam could not have done that by himself. The woman is the one that bears the image of God and bursts it. Someone says, you guys are not into women's rights. I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ did more for the exaltation for a woman than Amelia Gloria Steinem's. 
and all this nonsense out of Washington, D.C. Jesus did more to elevate the purpose and power and the, and the original function of a woman. Oh, come on, let's clap our hands and thank God for a revelation of the Word of God. Satan understood the incredible revelation and potentiality of the matrix called motherhood. Bad in us that Adam and Eve have been given dominion. And so now he says, I got I to get to the woman. This is why in the New Testament, that a woman is to be placed under the authority of her husband. It says it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Do not turn there. But it talks about that a woman's hair is given to her as a covering. In the original Greek, it said a woman's hair is given to her as a veil. It's not to be shaven or shorn, which means either trimmed or cut. Because you are telling something to the angelic realm. It says that in verse number 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Because, because of the angels, the same devil that approached Eve. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 that, that Satan didn't go directly at Adam, but he came to the matrix. He came to the mother, the one that was going to populate this round ball that, that can sustain life, that has got the dynamic and the glory of God's touch on it. The moon won't do. Saturn won't do. Jupiter won't do. Alpha Centauri won't work. Cygnus X1 won't do. It's that little planet called Earth that has got two people that are made in the image of an invisible God, a universal God, an all-powerful God. And if I'm going to stop what's going to take place that will one day influence the universe, I'm going to have to stop it there. Oh, clap your hands and give him praise. You're part of something glorious. You're part of something powerful. You're part of something from another world. So, Satan succeeded. God said, well, got another plan. And then in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, we are introduced to Abram. Actually, he's introduced to us in chapter number 11, but right now he's front and center. And God says, I'm calling you out to essentially go into the unknown. spiritual genetics, everything, everything that is a sentient, sentient living creation operates off of DNA. And you have got to have the right spiritual DNA so you don't end up being a doctrinal freak. I had, I, I ran into a lot of people that say, well, you know what? Um, you know, I go, I go to this and I'm not going to mention because I'm not here to throw rocks or shoot arrows or throw spear. That's not my intention. But they say, we're, we're taught that, you know, God doesn't fill people with the Holy Ghost so that they speak in tongues anymore. I said, well, it's too late. I did it. I did it 30 years ago. I saw people doing it on Sunday. When did God stop? Postmodernism from the Reformation period says that at the completion of the Word of God, there's no longer a use 
to the, to the vocal gifts. There's nine gifts. There's nine fruits, nine gifts. There's no more need for people to speak in tongues. Really? Is God still healing? Yep. Does God still deliver? Yep. Does God still bless? Yep. Does God still fill people with the power of the Holy Ghost so they can overcome the sin, the world, and the devil? Yes. Don't let, your, don't let your lack of theological understanding rob you of a blessing that God's got for you. I would say, you know what? I'm ready to come out. I'm ready to walk in the unknown, and I'm ready to get everything God's got for me. Oh, clap your hands and give him praise. So, Abraham is used to help these Galatian New Testament believers get a revelation. Keep in mind that what was happening here is that you had people that were Jews that were going in and disrupting these very young, innocent, if you please, spiritually young to the point of being uneducated, of, of deeper wisdom and understanding, and trying to get them to come back to Judaism. And so in our text, there are two women, two mothers, two children, two geographical locations to describe two different covenants. There is a duality here. And in this duality, there is to be you could, uh, it's not necessarily a dichotomy, which is an alignment of opposites, but it is an alignment for comparison to these New Testament believers. Verse number 22, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. Everybody knows this. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, God met with Abram and gave him promises. And he was childless. Except for the fact that when he went into Egypt, that the leader in Egypt, when he sent Abram away, he sent a bondwoman with him by the name of Hagar. She was to be a slave, if you please. She was to do their bidding. It was... Um, it wasn't indentured slavery. It was to be actually, this person was raised to be given away, to do the bidding of their master. And among flocks and, and herds, they were given people that were to be attendants and slaves to them. And Hagar was a slave. She was a single woman, an Egyptian woman that was given when Abram and Sarah went through Egypt where he lied about the identity of his wife. So years now, days turn into weeks, weeks into months, and months into years, and Abram is saying, I'm supposed to be the father of many nations, and I'm childless. And Sarah, she's saying, yep, we got out here, we believed God, we trusted God, but nothing's happened. Let me just tell some of you this, that if you obey God to do the will of God, you just hang on. 
Because if I've learned one thing by this story about Abram, that is the story that is supposed to be one of the threads that is woven into our New Testament experience. It's the fact that if God promised it, God will perform it. I'm not looking at the clock. I'm not, I don't care about public opinion. It doesn't matter if I, what I see in the mirror. God is faithful to promise. I've seen a lot of people make the mistake of saying, well, God, I'm going to give you till six months from now to bring me a husband. You think I'm kidding because it just sounds funny. I had a, there was a guy that used to come to this church many years ago that said, Pastor, if I don't have a girlfriend by this Sunday, I think I'm going to backslide. And I didn't, I wasn't going to encourage him in his folly, but in my heart I thought, well, you might as well just backslide because no man is going to push God into a corner. You're not going to tempt God. See, there's a lot of people that are going to go to hell because they're impatient. They're not going to make it. Because in their impatient, our whole world is built on the impatience of the, of the, human, the human mechanism. You got, you got, man, I'm telling you, they're making micro, microwaves. You can, you can boil an egg in 20 seconds. Hallelujah. You just remember this pastor. Do everything it takes to get a promise from God, and then you put your anchor down and say, I'm not letting Facebook mess me up. I'm not listening to Instagram. I'm going to get back in the Word of God where I belong. I'm safe in here. I'm not safe in this world. I'm not safe in the opinions of mankind. I'm not safe in the opinions of people that that think whatever they want to think. But in here, this is the only thing that really matters. you want to do, you're going to make a mess. Abram is one of the first messes and the most preeminent messes in the Bible. How do I know that? Because they're fighting in the Holy Land still to this day. That was because Abram got together with his wife and dreamed up this plan saying, well, you know, we were told we were going to have children. I think God needs some help. So this conspiracy came to fruition. Abram went in unto Hagar and produced Ishmael. For 15 years, they believed. They tried to make believe that Ishmael was the promise. I'm telling you, there is so much in here that we can overlay on our individual lives, not to condemn us, but to help us. We all make mistakes. All right, preacher, what are you going to do with the scripture in Romans chapter 4 where it says that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God, but counted him faithful, that he was able to perform that which he had promised. Okay, here's your answer. You ready? For 15 years, they lived with that mistake. But when the angel finally showed up, the theophany, the angel of the Lord showed up and said, your wife is about to bring about the son I was telling you about. Abraham did this. And from that point forward, he staggered not at the promises 
of God. You may have made your mistakes. You may have made a mess. Don't let the devil put you into a corner and drive you out of the church and get bitter and get jaded and get hard. Let God come to you with a fresh promise, but be ready to repent and say, I ain't never going back. I'm sold out this time. I've already been down that road. I'm going to trust God. Clap your hands and give him praise. Somebody said yes. rarest theological illustrations in the New Testament is this reference to mountains. There's a lot of mountains in the Bible, but never where it is revealing of covenants, at least in this setting. Verse number twenty. Four says which things are an allegory, which means that there is a lot more information behind this illustration that I'm referring to. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. Now, the Apostle Paul is, is, is bringing this to the forefront to show them that what you have is far beyond what has existed before. Like Sinai did have a purpose. You remember God brought the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and he took them to Sinai. And God gave a great demonstration of his power. Before he gave them the word, he gave them a great demonstration of power. Thunderings and lightnings and nobody was allowed to come near the mount. And the people did exceedingly quake. Even Moses said, I fear exceedingly. But then God began to speak. And that was the law. That was the covenant of the law that the nation of Israel was to abide under. It was living by rule and regulation. It was known as the law. Look at verse number 25. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth. You have a forward motion here. You have a forward momentum in which the law is answering to grace. Sinai is answering to Zion in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, um, it says in verse number 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Sinai had a basis of the Mosaic law, which covered everything, all the nuances of social living and individual living before God. And it was called the law. The Apostle Paul is appealing to these first century Christians that we are not under the law. We've already been there and done that. The law answers to Jerusalem. And then in the next verse, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Verse 22, there's two sons, a bondwoman and a free woman that are mentioned. Verse 23, there is Ishmael, the son of Hagar, 
represents Abraham's attempt to establish God's promises in the flesh. Do you know how many people are out there that are backsliders, that are still trying to establish what God did to them in this context of being in the church and trying to establish those things in, in, in the flesh or in their daily lives separate from what God's doing in the church? It's never going to happen. Verse 23, that which is born of the free woman, Sarah, was by promise. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say that when you become a New Testament believer, we are guided by promises. Pastor, I need an explanation. I, why, why is God doing this and God doing that? And why are you teaching that? Why is this in the Bible? And I do my best to, to give you a, a thorough biblical understanding. But ladies and gentlemen, God does not give explanations. God, if you loved me, how come I'm in this trial? God, if you love me, why did this happen? God, if you love me, why did this happen? That sounds like a philosophical, humanistic debate between somebody like, like, like Hutchings or Richard Dawkins or these people that say, if God is good, how come there's suffering in the world? God didn't do that suffering. Man did suffering to himself. And God said, even though you're suffering, I'm going to give you an answer. And if you don't take advantage of my answer, don't blame me. It's your fault. If you're complaining in your problem today, don't blame God. You need to get up, get a backbone, and say, I'm getting out of this thing. The Bible says I can get out of it. And I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. And I'm going to claim the promises. Clap your hands and give God the Pray. Well, if God loved me, why is this happening? You need to quit looking at life that way. Life is too dynamic because you have to, there's a cause and effect with your own choices. If you articulate your own choices, you can't blame that on God. You can't blame that on the devil. You have to look in the mirror and say, I'm in this condition because of my choices. I'm not going to give the devil the credit and I'm not going to blame God. But I know where there's a promise and I'm going to hook onto a promise and I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of my situation. I'm coming out of my mistake, Hagar. I'm coming out of my mistake, Ishmael. I'm going to get the promise of God. Clap your hands and give your God the praise. Somebody needs to hear what I'm preaching today. You can't come into this just carnal and natural and just going through the motions. you got to be saying, I'm hungry. I need something from God. I want to get out of this. Oh, let's just lift our hands and love him. Let's praise him right now. I love you, Jesus. Come on, let's lift our voices. I love you, Jesus. God, help me to apply this to my own life. God is for you. Even when you mess up, Abraham. I, don't, I can't think of anything messing up worse than going to some Egyptian handmaiden thinking that you're going to produce a promise. She's an Egyptian handmaiden, which represents the world. Egypt is a type of the world. Mesopotamia is a type of false doctrine. Verse number 24, these represent two covenants. One is permanent, a permanent place known as Sinai, where the law was given. And it is a covenant of bondage. It is not bondage under sin. It is not bondage under uh, the times of the Gentiles. It is not bondage to some hideous pagan war, uh, government or regime, but rather it is bondage under the law. The law was never intended for a human being to meet all of the obligations of the law. You do realize that, don't you? 
Because earlier in the book of Galatians, it said the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's to awaken something in me. I can't do this. I'm a sinner. Paul said it best in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? And then Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. The bondage is in the flesh. You can't live for God in the flesh. That's where the bondage is. But when you were baptized in Jesus' name and given the Holy Ghost, that that is to elevate you from a fleshly life. That is to elevate you from carnality. That is to elevate you from stinking thinking. Pastor, I thought this was Mother's Day. It is. I'm almost there. Give me another hour. A bondage is under the law, rules, regulations. The nation of Israel never came up to the level. That, if, we, if we could put it in a soteriological, which, which that just means the, the theology of salvation. If, wherever, wherever Israel failed and it was God's ideal, it was blood. It was the blood of an animal sacrifice. Once it was shed on the Day of Atonement for the entire nation. But it was shed individually every day of the week except the Sabbath. And that blood, it, 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 meant, it, meant, God's, it meant God's approval that I, I know you're a sinner. You didn't make it, but you, you also exercise in obedience my method for uh, the expiation of your sin. And that was a blood sacrifice. This is why if you come to this church, if you come to Cornerstone, you, you have to have a constant onward going progression of living for, I mean, really living for God. It should be a, a spiritual church that's on the move should actually be uncomfortable for people. And it has to have, it has to have that meeting place where there's, where there's, where there's immediate Head-on collision. Because you cannot do this in the flesh. You cannot do this easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't need God. But see, this is the rub for Americans. Because Americans establish a certain lifestyle. They, they, they get a good education or they get training or somewhere. A good job is given to them. They start making money. They adjust their lifestyle. And now their lifestyle begins to determine the level of spirituality that they're willing to do or not do. Instead of saying, I'm going to go ahead and get God first, and then I'm going to let God determine uh, my lifestyle. Because, see, when you get a lifestyle that's comfortable, all of a sudden your flesh doesn't want to do. You're back living under the flesh again. But if you realize, you know what? Whatever I got, I got by God. Whatever I got, I got by praying. Whatever I got, I got from fasting. Whatever I got, I got by doing the will of God. Then it's not a fight. It's not an argument. Oh, clap your hand and give God the praise. Sinai answers to Jerusalem, which is the mother of us all. You will not find that scripture anywhere else in the entirety of the word of God. 
Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. That is not saying that Jerusalem is the mother of the human race. Jerusalem, or rather, more specifically, Mount Zion, is the matrix of the new Jerusalem. And there's only one way that Jerusalem can become your mother. This, 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 this incredibly graphic word picture where the chiefest of all the apostles is theologically breaking this down in such a way that these people can understand that we're not under bondage anymore. Man, that was, that was in the wilderness. That was at Sinai. That is way in the past. But we're now free. The only other place where this word picture, word picture is even referenced to is found in Hebrews chapter 12. And let's go there, Brother Clark. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, talking about Mount Sinai, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and a tempest. This is the writer of Hebrews. Many people believe it was Pauline, but there's some real sharp, more, more degrees in a thermometer people that say it wasn't Paul. It was definitely the Apostle Paul. We know that because of the wordiology and, and the usage of his understanding of the Old Testament. Go to verse number 19. This is a direct reference to Sinai. And the sound of a trumpet when, God, when Moses assembled all the nation of Israel because they were stiff-necked. They were backslid in their heart. They had already talked about going back to the world. They had already talked about going back to Egypt. Even after the miracles. Even after the Red Sea. Even after the destruction of Pharaoh and his army. They didn't want commitment. They didn't want cohesion. They didn't want uh, alignment. They didn't want, they didn't want uh, rank and file. They didn't want regulation. They didn't want rule. They didn't want God. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. When God finally spoke at Sinai, they said, stop, tell God to stop. Tell that preacher to stop. Verse number 20. For they could not endure that which was commanded. If so much as a beast touched the mountain, that it should be stoned or thrust through with the dart. Verse 21. And so terrible was the sight that even Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Because God was given a demonstration of his terrestrial power. Let you know you're not messing around with some deity from Egypt. You're not messing around with some little false totem. Some totem from the Federal Reserve. Some totem from the entertainment world. You're dealing with the almighty God that is beyond organic. Supernatural. You say, Pastor, you're beside yourself. I'm always nervous. I live this way. My dog's nervous. I walk in a room and the dog jumps. It's all right, I'm, I'm on fire. I'm excited about this. Do you understand that at any time the trumpet could sound? 
You may not believe in the pre-trib. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I don't believe that the, that the bride is appointed to wrath. I'm living my life like it could happen tomorrow. It could happen Tuesday. I'm living my life like, God, any day I could give my last breath, and I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I want to please God. Clap your hands and give him the praise. illustration that you will find to what he put in the book of Galatians about this mountain. And it's in Hebrews. And he continues. Please go back there. But you are not come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Where is that? That's in Jerusalem. Mount Zion was the highest point of Jerusalem has incredible import in the Word of God. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. When you come into the church of the living God, you, you, if you're not careful, you'll walk in the flesh and just say, oh, there's, you know, there's just old brother, what's his name? And there's just old sister, what's her name? And all of your prejudices and your attitudes that have kept you down all these years will continue to be reinforced, not understanding, man, I'm not under bondage. My brother's not under bondage. That's not just old brother Troy. That's brother Troy. He's on his way to heaven. Oh, come on, somebody. See how how you look at everybody is, is the definition of where you are. I don't look at this as just this old brother. No, 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 no. We're gonna walk on the street of gold. We're gonna we're gonna talk to Abraham. We're gonna we're gonna see Jesus. You have not just come to any church where we're going through the motions of halfway in the world and acting like we're going to heaven. No, 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 no. We are free. We were born again from a message that was preached in Jerusalem. There's no other way a church can get there than to just just have these kind of things preached. It has to be preached. It has to be believed. It has to be a passion of leadership. It has to be a manifestation and articulated in daily life by leadership. We can't just talk about these things. We have to live these things. You are not come to Zion where there's rules and regulations that it's impossible to fulfill. But you've come to the church of the living God where there's an innumerable company of angels. Go ahead and elbow your neighbor and say, there's more angels on my side than there is devils against me. There's more that God's got for me than there is against me. Devil, take this, take that. I'm not going any further with hand gestures. I might as well just go ahead and do this. The devil said, don't praise him. I think I'll praise him. The devil said, just sit there. I think I'll run. The devil said, don't pray. I think I'll shout. The devil said, don't move. I think I'll shake. The devil said, don't do anything. I think I'll go crazy. Hebrews chapter 12. Sorry, Brother Clark. I'm getting carried away. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. 
this is the mother of us all. The general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's what this church is all about. That word perfect there does not mean that that you're going to attain so high we'll never see you again. It means completion. God has a plan for every unique individual life. And that, and, that, and that plan that God has, has his spirit and his blood and his word woven into every day and every trial and every tribulation. A new boyfriend is not going to get you through this. A new girlfriend is not going to get you out of this. A trip to the bar, experimenting with drugs, experimenting with sexual disorientation, that's not going to get you to this. It's one day living for God. It's the next day calling on Jesus. It's the next day praying. It's the next day fasting. Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise. The message that is given to get in to the church of the firstborn is not a Trinitarian message. It is not a message that did not exist before the turn of the previous century. I was just last last month, I was down in uh, Los Angeles getting a first-hand tour by an expert of early Pentecostalism in the United States. And he took me to um, a house, took me to Azusa Street. He showed me where the Apostolic Faith Mission pastored by William J. Seymour, a black man, was on Azusa Street. He took me to a royal Seiko where the very first camp meetings were, where a man by the name of McAllister in the middle of the night came flying out of his tent and said, I see it! What? He said, it's right here in Acts 2. You have to understand, this entire thing that is bringing people from Sinai to Jerusalem is the promise that was given to Abraham. Go to chapter 3 and verse number 14. This is the sense, essence of the promise given to Abraham. It was fulfilled in Isaac, but it went past Isaac. Because go to Genesis chapter, what is it, 17. Either 17 or 19. This is where God gave him this promise. I'm sorry, it's 22, verse 17 and 18. I'm sorry, Brother Clark. Listen carefully. Chapter 22. That in blessing, God, speaking to Abram, I will bless thee. And in multiplying you, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sea that is upon the seashore. Two different dimensions, two different realities. The sea of the the sand of the seashore is talking about the earthly nation of of, of the Jews. It is all of the Judaistic uh, generations that will consecutively follow Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so that his, his physical seed is in the sand of the seashore. But there's another one there, and it's more than just an idiom. He says it's the stars of the heaven. Stars in the Word of God are more than just balls of light that are on fire. It is talking about spiritual 
spiritual sonship. It's talking about supernatural sons. He was talking about uh, Joseph had the exact same dream when he saw the sand of the seashore and the stars making obeisance unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now unto Joseph. It is, it is a spiritual revelation of understanding that the stars, we're talking about a, a people that are coming beyond the sand, beyond real estate, everything attached to the nation of Israel, and everything in prophecy in the nation of Israel is all attached to real estate, whether it was Palestine, whether it was Jerusalem, or whether it was the temple, every time they are addressed, they are attached to real estate. But when it comes to the New Testament, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We become the stars. We become on an orbit that is beyond the terrestrial, beyond this room, beyond this world. Clap your hands and give God the praise. He said, I've heard this all before, but we're not living it. We're not living with authority. We're not living with dominion. We're not living with power. That's why we have to rehearse these things and preach these things. I didn't come here to give you some little message like a pill, like some spiritual opiate to help you cope in a world that is becoming demonically enraged. I came here to remind you who you are, that you're beyond terra firma. You're beyond the terrestrial. You're beyond this world. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. I'm almost done, but somebody has got to rejoice right now. I'm not here to rejoice over some slick preacher. I'm not here to rejoice over some deal. I'm not here to rejoice over some some deal in this world. I'm here to rejoice that my name is written in a Lamb's Book of Life. What the devil's done is he's convinced some of you guys you ain't in there anymore. You can tell. I'm I'm not putting you down. I'm here to help you. You have to resist that. I'm almost done. Let's lift our hands and give him praise right now. Stars. Things that are astronomical. Things that are out there. Things that are not bound to the earth. Things that are not bound to gravitational pull. You're not going to pull me back in the world. You're not going to pull me back into small thinking. You're not going to pull me back into, oh, poor me. That's gravity. What goes up, the devil says, oh, yeah, you're jumping on Sunday, but what comes up must come down. I got news for the devil. I'm just going to be like a little cranberry. I'm already a little fuzzball of a pastor. Kind of cute and fuzzy. But look at me like a cranberry. You know how they test cranberries? They see if they bounce. Yeah. When I fall, I shall arise. When I make a mistake, I don't sit at home and get carnal because I think there's no use. I get right back in the prayer room. I get right back in the altar. I get right back in the spirit. I get right back. It's the bounce that counts. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Get off the canvas. Get off the floor. Get off the dirt. Get out of the gravel and get back where God sees you. Somebody shout.
Though a righteous man falls seven times, he's going to what? Splatter? No, it says he's going to get right back up. Because a righteous man might make mistakes, but he sees the bigger picture. The devil is working overtime on this church. I felt it when I walked in. I saw Brother David, who is, again, winner of the best-dressed service leader again this Sunday. I told him, I said, welcome to Pushback Sunday. He looked at me kind of puzzled, but he was, he was already agreeing with me. But I said, you know, no, last week something broke in our anniversary service. And the devil says, let's just bring that old, no, you ain't putting that old thing on me. I'm going up, 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 up. Honey, I already know who I am. I know my authority. I know who God is. I know you. Come on, you're not down. You're on your way. You're in progress. You're in flight. Somebody clap your hand. Somebody shout. Somebody run. Somebody do something. The devil wants to keep you down. You ain't never going to do that. You ain't never. You need to say, you know what? I reject that. I resist that. When I fall, I shall arise. Woo, let's praise him. Let's take a praise break right now. Somebody shout. Some, some of you haven't praised him yet today. Come on, give him glory. You're not a has-been. You're a gonna-be. Devil, you might have had last week, last month, last year, but you can't have tomorrow. It's not even 1 o'clock. For all you clock watchers, I've been, pa- I've been preaching an hour and 15 minutes. And the way I'm feeling right now, I might go another hour. I can hear your tummy growling from here. No worries, mine's growling too. I just got to do this. Would you stand, please? I love this man. Every time I see him, I say, see, devil? See? I know he ain't perfect, but he ain't what he used to be. Come on, somebody. I ain't what I used to I, be. I'm, I'm going to be something someday, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. Jerusalem is saying, come up higher. Just keep praying. Just keep going. Just keep moving. Just keep believing. Just keep praying. Don't let him run by himself. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Well, I don't know about this church. <laughs> Would you rather see him run on a football field or run in the aisles in victory? Would you rather see him run in the streets on drugs or run in the aisles in glory? Would you rather see him running with the drug addicts of our world or running for Jesus Christ? I can leap over a wall and run through a troop. Somebody shout. You may be seated. Thank you for being so patient with me.
get done one of these days. If Jerusalem is the mother of us all, there were two mothers, two sons, two geographical areas, two boys, Ishmael, Isaac. That means there has to be two messages. If the message preached Sinai was rule, regulation, and bondage that was to lead us to Jesus, go to Acts chapter 2. Where is this preached, Pastor? Acts 2 and 38. Where is this preached, Pastor? It's preached in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Then Peter said unto them, in an upper, upper, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. I am am concerned about some lovely people that are here today. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. But you look at me and you say, I've been baptized in Jesus' name. And yet when when provided with an opportunity, you say, you won't won't tell us the name of the church. There's only one church that baptizes in Jesus' name consistently and has from the very beginning. It is not a Trinitarian church. It does not believe in three gods. It does not believe in the triune formula that was devised back in the third and fourth century. It is a church that goes all the way back to the upper room in the place in Jerusalem, which was the birth of the mother of us all, that says you've got to be born again. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost verse number 39 for the promise the same promise he gave to Abraham clap your hands and give God the praise real quick brother Clark go to Galatians chapter 3 verse number 14 And then you'll understand why this makes so much sense. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He gave Abraham more than one promise. He gave him the promise that it's going to be the sand of the seashore. That's what Isaac represented. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob represented the lineage that was attached to real estate. That sand. But he also had the stars of the sky that was supernaturally regenerated. And he says right here, this is the apostle telling them, you can't go back to the law. You can't go back and listen to false religion. You can't go back to listen to an angel or us if we come back and give you any other message. You've been delivered from all that. And that the blessing of Abraham, if God gave Abraham blessings, that that blessing is mine. God is going to give me revival. God is going to give me children. God is going to give me blessing. God is going to multiply me. God is going to bless me. Clap your hands and give him praise. You've got to have the Holy Ghost to have the blessing of Abraham. The problem with 21st century denominationalism is they're building castles and big structures that are protecting people from the downward spiral of our culture, and they're calling it a church. Churches are no longer being identified by their doctrine, but churches are now being identified by the youth group and the singles group and the the things that they do for people. 
If a church is not defined by its doctrine, then it is not a church. But make no mistake about it. In verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, I don't know. I've talked to hundreds of people in Spokane, given Bible studies and talked to people, ask them what they believe. They say, I don't know what I believe. Have you been baptized? I don't believe in being baptized. What do you mean you don't believe in being baptized? It's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 27, Mark 16, 15, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse number 18. Baptism is all through the New Testament. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, then we are buried with him in baptism. Colossians chapter 2, it's the circumcision of the heart. Acts chapter 2, it's the regeneration. It is the DNA. It's the DNA of Jerusalem. It's the DNA of an innumerable company of angels. It's the DNA of a men's spirit made perfect. It's the DNA of another world. It's the DNA of a new Jerusalem. hardly talk to people anymore in our culture because they're all they're biblically illiterate they can't they can't they they don't take their bibles to church they they think that the church is going to quote that there's way more to this than whatever scriptures we put up here You've got to get in that book, and you've got to say, my God, I've really got this thing. I've really got what the apostles had. I've really got what they got in the first day. I've really got this. I've got this. World, you can't have this. Devil, you can't have this. Family, you can't have this. Friends, you can't have this. Acts chapter 2. Verse number 39. God told Abram in Genesis 12 that through you, the families of the earth, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is the spiritual reinforcement and reverberation of that for the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you've not been born again, I mean truly born again. Well, I feel Jesus. That's not validating you've been born again. For you to know you've been born again, you've got to show it in the Bible. Well, I feel Jesus all over me. That feeling God is not the test of whether God has you. In fact, I heard the story of a man that one time in these big healing campaigns, that people that are preaching false doctrine will pray for somebody, and the person will say, I feel better. And what's happened is the devil of false doctrine tells the devil of an infirmed spirit, when he prays for you, release it, so that they believe that your salvific message is truth, because now you can feel the difference. It's not what you feel that determines whether you got truth. It's what you hear and what you see in the Word of God that proves to you that you have truth. I can quote it right there, Pastor. It's in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. It's in Acts chapter 8, preached in Samaria. It's in Acts chapter 10, preached in Caesarea. It's in Acts 19, preached in Ephesus. It was the only message ever preached. Oh, you guys are legalistic. Why do you say that? Oh, because you still believe you got to do stuff. Honey, that ain't legalism. That's obedience. 
The Bible says that a man's to have short hair. The Bible said a woman's not to cut her hair. The Bible says that that which wears mixed clothing is an abomination to the Lord. The Bible says that we're to come out from among them and be separate. The Bible says that I am to live, uh, serve God effectively in my body and in my spirit, which are God. The Bible tells me to live modest. The Bible tells me to speak peaceable things. The Bible tells me legalism. That's an excuse to stay lost instead of coming to the truth and being set free from the bondage of ignorance. Welcome to the mother of us all. That's not the world. That's to people that have been born again of water and spirit and been filled with his power. Let's stand. I've made up my mind that if we're going to get to the next level, it's because we're going to have to cut. And we're going to have to get the word of God like a two-edged sword. And people out there that are sitting on the fence that don't even really know what they have and what they believe are going to find truth, are going to find life, and going to find liberty. And so I commit a challenge to you. That if you believe that you've obeyed the truth, you need to show me in this Bible. Because if you've not, I'm going to preach that you've got to be born again. Why? It's the only way you're going to get into Jerusalem. And these are they that have come out of great tribulation from every nation, from every kindred. They were all had the same mother called Jerusalem. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. I thank you, Jesus, for the truth. I thank you, Jesus, for this great revelation that is a treasure. We're not trying to be brutal, but we're trying to bring conviction. We're trying to convince people that they have to know without a shadow of a doubt that my mother is Jerusalem. My mother is Jerusalem. My mother is Jerusalem. And so on a special day called Mother's Day, I would like to invite all the mothers Would you slip out of your pew and make your way to the front? We're going to have a a quick prayer. Look at this. God bless each and every one of you for your contribution to the word of God and the church of the living God. Somebody shake somebody's hand. Whitney, I think you're an awesome mom. I have never, I sent her a text first thing this morning. When you leave this building today, make sure you're communicating to somebody that is a mother. Happy Mother's Day. I would now like to invite the husbands down to this altar. Come quickly. Take a stroll down the aisle for Jesus. Thank God for these men that are made in the image of God. And now I'd like to invite the children to find your parents and stand with them right now. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for your mom.